Collective Awakening podcast, sharing truth and knowledge in this time of conscious awakening with Chris and Stephen. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Collective Awakening podcast with me, Chris, and Stephen of the Purple Mountain Spiritual and Wellbeing Centre. Long time no see. Uh, we've had a little bit of a break, but we're back with a bang with this episode. Really looking forward to it. Uh, we've got our guest, who's Kieran Congdon, and he's a men's self-development coach. Uh, really great to have you with us, Kieran, uh, to be our guest on this episode. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, really looking forward to this. And as always, uh, when we speak to our guests, we'd love to hear about your journey, Kieran, and what brought you up to what you're doing now. Um, yeah, that'd be great cool. to hear. Um, so I guess my background story is a pretty average guy um brought up in west cumbria uh i'm tw- oh, no, i'm not 20 i'm 30 now <laughs> 31 now <laughs> uh 31 now um got brought in west cumbria and as i said pretty average from like academically like not very clever just kind of c grade type student you know went to university done sports science and um actually i'm going to stop myself I'm going down the route that everyone goes down when they get asked about themselves. I was just about to go down the route of basically giving you a CV of my job history. That's not me. What I am actually like, so um, me as a person, I'm kind, I'm caring, straight to the point. I really try and help people as much as I can. Probably not good at many things shit at singing shit at dancing but i'm very good at coaching and i like you get these guys which are like a jack of all trades i'm kind of a jack of none but a master of a few uh so that's me and the reason why i stopped myself there just to kind of elaborate on that is because i think i think it's a good point to make when people get asked about themselves they do use their job as part of their identity which i was actually just going down that route and i wanted to stop myself there yeah um because that isn't me. But just to continue down that route anyway, I went to sports science, done went to university, done sports science, started a food business, built that up from uh, kind of, well, cooking for my personal training clients in the kitchen at home. I built that up to opening like restaurant in Altrincham on the outskirts of Manchester. Very kind of difficult time in my life, but also a lot of lessons learned. So it was very uh, up and down. The, essentially, the short story of that is the bigger the business grew, the more I declined physically and mentally. Uh, I then went back to personal training, even though at first I thought it was a, a backward step. You know, going from personal training to having this big food business, delivering food all over the country, restaurants, cafes, that type of thing, to then going back to personal training. It was like, ah, do I really want to do that? My ego couldn't take it, essentially. But... I had to move that to one side and realize that's what I was happiest doing. So I went back into personal training, lockdown kicked in, and then I moved online. Uh, I lost myself a little bit during lockdown. And before that, just like just before lockdown, the start of lockdown. So that's when I really decided, you know what, enough's enough. I'm kind of sick of living the way I live and I'm living. I really want to work on myself. And I just turned my my focus inwards rather than outwards. You know, we were talking before about obviously victim mindset and stuff. And I was in the victim mindset a lot. Uh, it was everyone else's fault apart from mine. So when I turned that focus inwards, 
well, shit started changing for the better. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. It does. Yeah, amazing. So it's interesting what you what you said there and, and the way you put um, what you were saying because uh, there's something recently I watched and it, it was this man and he was giving a little bit of a talk and he said, you know, who are you really? And take away your name even because that was given to you by somebody else. Take away your name, take yeah. away your job. Who are you? And mm -hmm. do you think as a sort of observation, even with the people you work with, you know, do people that know who they are? You know, that search of who are we really? Yeah, so I think most people definitely don't know who they are. I think most people um, portray and kind of have this... Uh, well, there's a few different things. I think a lot of people will portray this person who they think other people think they are. So I don't know if you've heard the phrase, um, I am not who I am. I am not who you think I am. I am, I am who you think, I think you think I am. If that makes sense. Let me try. Yeah, you did that well. Is that, is that right? Is that, I think that's yeah. right, yeah? yeah? I am not who I am. I, I'm who think you, you know what I mean, right? Where it's like, we have a made up kind of idea of, so using us as an example, if I was a normal person, let's say, an average person, I would have an idea of your perception on me We've only recently just met. I don't really know. I have a clue what your perception is of me, but I would almost try and play this persona of what you think I am like. And a lot of people yeah. do do that, I think. But I also think a lot of people in this day and age attach things to their identity. So um, the, the, the work I am in with predominantly men, I do work with women, but mainly men, they use external things to shape who they are so i'm gonna first person that comes to mind is a, a young lad who i worked with previously and he was really into his cars and um bit of a boy racer type guy that kind of that type of guy and um it was like okay i'm not kieran i am kieran with the ferrari and it was like that car and that uh that was attached to his identity. And that's just one example of what a lot of people do. So it could be anything, though. It could be a good job. So I may not be Kieran. Well, actually, this is a good example because my work is a big part of my life. And I've worked a lot to try and remove my work from my identity because I am not a self men's online self-development coach. That's what I do as a job. You know what I mean? Mm, um, yeah. And a lot of us will use these external things, whether it's job, cars, whether it's, um, I don't know, like things that we're into almost sometimes. So like even the gym, uh, I'm obviously into the gym. It's what I do as a hobby and job. But people would attach that to their identity and, and it, it's, it's, it creates a bit of uh, restriction on their life because if that was ever taken away, they lose their identity with it. If I ever injured myself and I couldn't go to the gym, but, you know, I'm Kieran Congdon, that guy with abs, and he was always in good shape, and that's part of my identity. If I was to ever get out of shape, that's going to be way down on me so much heavier than what it was would be if I was just Kieran Congdon, you know? So going back to the, the question of who are we, I really view it as we're all just souls. We're all just 
consciousness. We're all just spirits, whatever you kind of want to dress that up as. We have a brain, a mind, a body, but deep inside, we're all just the same, which is consciousness and spirits or souls. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think I could have put it better. <laughs> and, wow. And 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 it, it's interesting just connecting with Kieran. Um, the, the way I sort of connected with him was finding him through another podcast that he did. And it was interesting at the end, you talked about leaning into the spiritual side of things. Mm. And I found that really interesting because I thought everything that you said previous to that was already there. It, I thought this is this this is already talking about consciousness and and you know being our true selves, not mm-hmm. attaching to things that are not forever, basically, mm-hmm. uh, and recognizing who we are and and gaining clarity through that. So mm-hmm. I thought that was spot on. Yeah, yeah. One thing I was thinking the other day, which um, know that you'll have a lot of spiritual listeners, but for anyone who is not so spiritual. I like me personally, I always like to try and bring things down to reality and and think how can this help my human experience? Because I'm very much more down or started down the end of the scale of like facts, figures, and science. Obviously doing sports science at uni and a lot of spirituality you can't prove. It's yeah. Things you can't see, you can't touch, it's just theories and beliefs where I often and I was thinking this the other day, I was thinking, you know what, how does spirituality and going down this route actually benefit me today and my human life from now and the future. And I, the only answer I could come up with was it kind of just makes life bigger than you and more than what we can just see, feel, and touch, you know. I think it very quickly humbles you. And when you realize there is more to life than the 80 years we get on this earth, it's like, Okay, well, that's nice to know. <laughs> that's good to know. Like, there's more before. There was more before. There's more after, and there's more than this physical body that I've currently got. And there's just a lot more of almost everything that, not just the things I can see and touch. And I think that's the fundamental point at the minute. I think it, if most people could recognise that, it, that would be a huge eye opener because it takes us out of this narrow block of thinking is right this is who i am this this in this little box now it's all I'll ever be and then that's it i'll pop my clogs go in a box and then that's the end of it and when we start to look outside and expand out of that and realize well we're actually we've been we will be again we're not just this person in this life it removes a lot of things it, yeah. it removes actually over-identifying over identifying with this one experience, 100%. which a lot of that's going on at the minute um, mm-hmm. in the world, of over-identifying with what you are now, if that makes sense. Totally, totally. And I think for me, um, like you mentioned, I mentioned on the podcast uh, about going down the spiritual route, the reason why I've started going down that, I don't know if I mentioned this on the other podcast, but I'm now going down this route to learn more about myself which is quite strange because I've just said there, and I'm thinking out loud here, spirituality is things you can't see, feel, and touch. It's all theory and kind of, you know, we're stories almost, right? Yeah. But um, the reason why I'm going down that is to learn more about myself now in this physical form. So it's like, it's mental when you look at it that way. Because for me, like I've done a lot of education on the well, firstly, physical side of things. So I got taught by, in my opinion, the best people on the planet as far as weight training, 
and physical exercise goes. So I feel like I've kind of ticked that box. I've got enough knowledge in that area now to last me a lifetime and more. So I don't really need to do too much more education in that area. Um, the mindset side of things, I there's a guy called Peter Crone. Um, I'll always credit him. He's like absolutely phenomenal. I don't know if you've ever heard of him or, or watched any of his stuff. He's not super well known, but he's like um, the Joe Dispenza type type of guy. <clears throat> um, very spiritual, but very like improving the human experience type guy as well. Anyway, I've done his six month long mastermind uh, a couple of years ago, I think it was. Completely changed my life. And in my opinion, he's the best person on the planet as far as the whole mindset side of things goes and how to think, how to speak, how to, what he says, break free of these prisons within our subconscious mind and how to become more conscious, essentially. So I kind of feel like I've almost ticked that box as well. And I know there's still a lot to learn and I'll always still learn. I don't want to come across as like, oh, I I can't learn anymore because I definitely can. But I feel like I've ticked the physical, I've ticked the mental. Well, for now, for me, to continue learning more about myself and to improve my human experience, spirituality is now the teacher. Because I, I found myself in a position of, I either continue spending thousands on six-month masterminds and hopefully learning a thing or two here and there. Because like, and the way I look at it is when you start off on this journey of self-development, it's really easy to learn shit because you've got that much to learn about yourself. But the more you learn about yourself, the more conscious you become, the more higher uh, enlightened you become, or however you want to, I want to say that. Probably more conscious is the better word. How to uh, how to become more conscious? The more you learn, the harder it is to continue learning and finding out things. You know, then blind spots become a lot harder to find. It takes more extreme things to find them. So I found myself in a position where it's either okay, well. I continue spending thousands of pounds on masterminds and maybe learning a thing or two here and there, or I go down the spiritual route, which I've never been down before. And I can probably learn a hell of a lot quite quick, which I'm only still kind of at the start of my journey in the spirituality world, but it's, uh, it's been quite mental so far, quite mental. Yeah, and uh, it's just, just interesting the, the way you're putting all that, Ed, because uh, me and myself and Stephen have had a sort of opposite experience at the moment. We've been sort of delving into more the physical the last year or so, and something we recently did was we did a juice fast for a week, and we found it, you know, such a – well, it was a little bit of everything. It was triggering. Hmm. It was – uh, enlightening a lot of clarity but also we found we felt a lot lighter in our bodies so that i feel we're coming into this time because i mean we've been in the spiritual movement a good while but sometimes that word spiritual can have its own pitfalls as well mm. it can have yeah, an expectation definitely. of some perfection so really i feel sort of what you said it's the, the mind the body and the spirit and it's sort of coming into, you know, our bodies need looking after as well. It's our temple. It's our vehicle in this life. It needs to be good. And if it isn't, we're going to feel it, aren't we? So it's just interesting what you said, because we're experiencing, we're sort of going into yeah, the, yeah, the physical stuff at the moment. But what, what I want to say is the point I'm trying to make is it's all as powerful. It Definitely. just depends what's right for you at the moment. But all of them are important because... Mm-hmm. You know, to to be truthful, I've I've met a lot of people who are very very wise on my journey, 
and a wonderful workers of spirit and and in touch with themselves but physically they've had massive struggles you know and massive and yeah. and and, it, and a huge lack of self-love and and that's a little bit what can come into any form of spirituality is this overdoing it so we're, we're like everybody else everybody else and i'm just leaving myself dry yeah mm -hmm. so, so really important what you said there but what I wanted to get to is um so when you're doing your work with your individual clients and people you meet um wh where do you start off what you experience a lot of at the moment i mean it's no secret there's a huge rise in in mental health it's a big issue at the moment one way or another um so, so what are you experiencing on a daily basis with the clients you work with good question um it's very very broad very broad um where do i start god um <laughs> i guess <clears throat> uh, let me explain firstly the types of clients i work with predominantly it's uh it does range from people who just want to improve the physical shape you know kind of the well let's have a look i think of me current clients youngest is maybe early 20s and he just wants to learn about training and physical exercise going to the gym and um, getting in shape yeah for whatever motivation behind that is, is whatever it is then on the other end of the scale oldest client is maybe around 50 ish uh he's got his own business and he uh had like uh, physical illnesses so with i think it was um like cancer that type of thing and he realized you know what like i need to start prioritizing my physical health because i've put work at the forefront of everything for a lot of years yeah. i've neglected my health and now it's like being slapped in his face i need to start prioritizing so that's very much a broad range now mentally obviously both of those people have different uh what i would call barriers to progress in the lifestyle yeah but also mentally so let's say the older guy uh we'll call him john <clears throat> he uh he's got his own business he has this um mental barrier that he mental barrier of putting himself first essentially and when i come across people like which is a lot of people especially more so mums and parents mums out of both sides more so both sides but uh parents in general they do struggle putting themselves first. And the way I kind of tackle that is I say, look, if you are the parent, then the quality of you turning up as a parent will be determined by the quality of you in yourself. So within the consultation process, I go through a, a bit of a, a mental health scale because physical health is very easy to kind of assess visually a lot of the time anyway. Um, mental health is obviously a lot harder to assess to see where someone's at. So we go through a 10-point scale and we mark them out of 10 and it gives them a little snapshot of what their mental health looks like. A lot of the time it comes out 40-50%. And I often ask, you know, how does that make you feel coming out at 50% mental health? If, if your true potential is 100%, no, you're coming out at 40-50%, how does that make you feel? And it really gets the cogs ticking. I can see the, the, the start looking inwards now. And I say, look, well, if you're at 40% physically, you're at 40% mentally, out of 200%, the physical and the mental, you're, you're operating at 40%. Now, if you are the parent, by default, 
you are turning up at 40% as a parent. Now, I've only ever had one person push back on that and say, no, I don't agree. And eventually he did end up agreeing. But um, he, I can't see another way around it because they are the parent. You know what I mean? So yeah. when someone's struggling to put themselves first, they've got to realize that if they do start putting themselves first, then they're by default going to be a better parent. Now, I would like to explain that putting yourself first can be interpreted many different ways. That's up to the individual. What what putting yourself first doesn't mean is neglecting your kids and never doing anything for them, right? <laughs> which I think a lot of people immediately think that is, which is not. It means like really assessing and getting very, very clear on your priorities. So I'll use my brother as an example. Um, maybe watch this back and maybe won't. I don't know, but I hope he won't mind. Um, he, he at one point had uh, my nephew's like they were doing after school activities like every day of the week. And he, he had no time for him. So he works full time. So as soon as he finishes work, he takes one child to one activity, the other child to the next activity. And that was pretty much Monday to Friday. The weekend is absolutely knackered. He's doing odd jobs around the house and just general life shit, right? And he was he was a little bit not complaining, but I could tell he, he was struggling to, you know, put himself first. Um yeah. so I said, look, does it does the nephew really need to be doing five different sports. Does he really need to be? Could he just pick his top three and then you have two nights to yourself? Because then you'd be turned up as a better parent just off them two nights. And with the small change, like, I, like as a 10-year-old, he's, he's not that bothered if he's going to have two nights off sport. You know what I mean? Like, he probably only goes to baseball on a Wednesday because it's summer to do. He'd be just as happy doing something else in the house. You know what I mean? So it's these different ways of thinking and these different prioritizations which lead to breakthroughs and changes in people, people's mental health to then make them better parents. And I'm picking on parents a little bit here, but it kind of goes the same across the board. Um, that's kind of one area I do see a lot and do work with a lot, uh, self-prioritization. The other end of the scale is, you know, the anxiety and the depression. Uh, people who want to kind of come off medication and do we open these kind of worms? <laughs> uh, I, my, my take on the medication side of things is a lot of the time, it's just a, an easy way out. Um, more so for the doctor than the actual patient. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes it's fully needed. I, my mom, she passed away a couple of years ago of, um, uh, lung cancer and during her deterioration like there was a question of maybe some antidepressants and initially I was like no fucking way is my mom taking antidepressants no way I'm not having it and I was so against it then after a few weeks and circumstances changed and actually came out the idea and I thought you know what yeah it's actually the best thing so I want to put that out there just because I'm not anti-medication but for the biggest part I definitely definitely think it is an easy way out I think a lot of the time, you probably have to stop me here, by the way, because I'm going to go on tangents. <laughs> no, no, uh, no, no, no I said, the, the, only, the only thing I wanted to chip in with, just yeah, before yeah, we on. moved too far away from it, is yeah. when you were talking about parents, and this, this, you know, this, this might cover a few things as well as parents, is the word expectation. It's like living up to an expectation of what they think they should be. Rather than just doing, just do what you feel is right, what's right for you, what's right for your kids, and what's right for your health. 
And I, I see that. I'm not a parent myself, but what I see in other parents is that expectation. Like there's an expectation of them to be somewhere. And I've I've spoken to many people. And if they asked my opinion, I said, just be you. They just they just be the best version of you. And that'll be that'll be right yeah. for your kids. Yeah. I think it's a it's a balance, isn't it? Because I know the parents I kind of push to start putting themselves first a little bit more. They do get a little bit of parent guilt, you know what I mean? I'm totally understandable, yeah. but, you know, saying no once in a while, even just once in a while, isn't going to kind of do any damage, you know what I mean? And the, I'm very big on, like, organisation structure, so it's great when I get a client who's got to set hours at work and they're kind of typical nine-to-five type client because they've got a really good, solid routine there. From nine till five, Monday to Friday, that's in their in their week. So then all the time around that, they can create to have like a theoretical perfect week. So, you know, Monday and a Friday gym, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, kids activities. And they can really kind of, and I, I get my clients to go through and write down, there's a, there's a, like a, a spreadsheet to fill in to create their perfect week. And I do this myself on a weekly basis. Every Monday, I create a theoretical perfect week. And I look at it and think, Okay, that's fitting everything I've got on that week. If I work towards that and get somewhere close, I'll be very happy. It might not go exactly to plan, but at least I'm working towards something. Where And people are just very uh, caught up with life. They don't even stop and think for a second, you know what I mean? And going back to something I mentioned in the other podcast uh, was about presence. No one's ever present, and you can't do nothing with no presence. So it's like, where do you even start? <laughs> Well, I think I think you made a lot of really good points, and it's something I'm glad you brought it up. And <laughs> there's so many things we could go into in this chat, but that that is so significant. What you said about being present, and it actually it made me think when I was watching it, which is always a good thing if things are. And and you mentioned when you were at a concert, oh, and yeah. I think there's somebody in front of you, and they were on the phone on Facebook all night, and it's like that person just wasn't there. And and, and and we seem to have fallen into that. Even, you know, if something's there, we're not in that room. We're not nah. experiencing. No. And and I I done a, a talk at a men's mental health festival the other month, actually. And part of the talk was about the world we live in. And the, um, like, I really believe we live in a, 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 a world which breeds poor mental health and ADHD. And it's very much, everything's, fighting for our attention all the time if you walk yeah. down a main street in manchester right just imagine you're walking down the main street you've got billboards on on buildings everywhere they're trying to get your attention you've got uh your phone going off in your pocket you've got like um uh people trying to sell you shit on the corner you've got like you just everyone everyone and everything like signs outside of shops um adverts on the side of taxis on the side of the trams like everything and everyone is just fighting for your attention. Every company essentially is fighting for your attention, right? And your phone is the biggest culprit, I believe, which just takes the attention away, you know? And and like I'm here talking to you guys now and if my phone was next to me and it was on loud and my notifications were on and my clients are messaging us, I wouldn't be fully present with you. If And I use the example on the other podcast, which I'll use again because I think it's so um, clear that if I'm sat here now talking to you guys and my neighbour John from down the road messages me and wants to, you know, do something in a couple of weeks' time. If my if I allowed my phone to be on loud and and have my notifications on, then 
he's just pinched my attention when I didn't ask him to, when I want to be here with you guys. So it's really, I've got to take that responsibility, have my notifications turned off, have my phone on silent and be fully present. And when you're not present, you've got two other options. You either think about the future or you think about the past, where you know that you will know, if you always think about the future, you end up anxious. If you always think about the past, you end up depressed. So it's okay, well, take your pick. Which one do you want? Or become present, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I feel that's so relevant. And you, you do see people now, like uh, I saw a picture the other day of these people who'd met up for lunch and they piled all the phones in the middle of the table to make mm. like a tower so they won't be taking their attention. And it really, I think that's an important point. You could be sat there talking with somebody, having lunch, and you're not engaging in that conversation fully because you're thinking, oh, am I getting a message? Oh, is that a thing on my Instagram, on Facebook? Mm. And it's a little bit of sensory overload, really, uh, that we're falling into. It's um, it's there now, and I think it's the way we navigate it. Yeah, it, I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. Um, so it's actually the way we uh, manage that within ourselves is the way yeah. forward. It's only going to get worse. I think, like I said, it's we live in a world now. I believe that it just it's breeding ADHD. Like the amount of people who just aren't present and haven't got any focus they they are constantly distracted and i know this as well just from the nature of my work like i could put out a, a life-changing informative valuable video 10 minutes long and change a lot of people's lives if they sat and watched it but no one's gonna watch it so i have to put out short snappy attention grabbing reels with the value and the information bred in between that otherwise it never gets yeah. watched <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. so, it's a shame and it's only going to get worse. And the, the downside to it is we don't know the effects of all this stuff until it's too late. Like in my talk at the other the festival, I mentioned about um, if we go right back to the start of social media, you know, that you guys will remember, like the MSN days. Yeah. Or, you know, on MSN, speaking to your mates. And it was like cool as hell. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I can chat to my mate. He's in his bedroom. I'm in my bedroom. I don't have to go around and knock for him. And it's obviously evolved so fast from there and so far, but we've just been the almost the guinea pigs really that have started experience all this social media stuff. And now years and years deep, we're starting to see the effects of it, which is no one's got any attention span whatsoever. Everyone's getting diagnosed with ADHD. Everyone's dopamine deficient. Everyone's uh, focus deficient. You know what I mean? Attention deficient. So it's then, well, okay, what does that do to mental health? Well, now, if like, because my nephew showed me a video on TikTok and it was two videos playing at once, it was a split screen. And I thought, you know what, that blows my mind because now a film is boring. If he gets used to that level of input, sensory input, that he's watching two videos at once, a film is now boring. A one to one conversation in a restaurant is boring because yeah. his, his level of stimulation is just raised. And uh, I mentioned again, I mentioned on the podcast, but I think it's valid by saying again, is you know what, like I really believe looking further down the line, let's say that children do get used to, for example, the two videos playing at once, that level of stimulation. That's a, a level of stimulation which can't be matched much really um, legally before you go illegally. So meaning drugs and um, porn, gambling. Oh, not, I know that's porn and gambling aren't illegal, but it's going down that, that route. Uh, to match that level of stimulation and sensory input if 
the baseline is two videos playing at once. You know what I mean? So it's we've got to really be wiser to the effects of it. Like all this AI now, like we don't have a clue the effects of what this is going to do. But until until we start really spreading the message of becoming present, which is at the moment my only thing I can think of which can fight any social media technology type thing. Um yeah, I don't think it's I don't think it's looking pretty. I really don't. I don't think it's looking pretty. I, th- I, th- I think as well, I think what, what all this is all about is, is this disconnection that has been happening over so many years. And uh, it's all about reconnecting. It's something that I'm very passionate about, particularly when we talk about mental health. Everybody's entrapped in that mind center, in that mind. And if we get more in the heart space, more in the, and even the mind's important. We need the mind. Yeah. You know, the mind is good. It's not our enemy, but there's been such a disconnection. Uh, people leaning into technology. Technology is okay. All, all things are good in moderation and in balance, but there is such a disconnection now. People don't communicate now uh, with, with each other, and that's, that's seeping into friendships, that's seeping into relationships as well, where you know people aren't having that conversation. You know, I remember growing up sitting around the dinner uh, dining room table eating dinner together, you, you know, you don't get that with my nephews or nieces. They, they've got a tablet in front of them or they're sitting in front of the TV. And it's shocking. I saw my nephew about the split screen. I thought, what is he doing? He's seen two sh- screens at the same time. And it's just shocking. Mm. And the damage that's happening with the eyes as well, with the short-sightedness, mm. and it's damaging people's eyes. And there's such a lack of uh d3 and, and vitamin d3 deficient now in people and people yeah. are asking why why is this happening uh so mm-hmm. it is pretty shocking isn't it yeah i think uh it's it's really like i'm i'm quite passionate about this because there's so much change happening in the world at the moment i really believe like it's our generation now that we're the only people that can do anything about it because the kids yeah. that are experiencing it now they're just what we were when we first had MSN. Oh, look how cool this is! I'm speaking to my mate. Blah blah blah. We did. We didn't have a. We did not give a fuck about the fuck the the effects of MSN. You know what I mean? We did not care. Just like they don't care about the effects of TikTok on their dopamine levels. <laughs> you know what I mean? They do not care. But at the same time, like our parents, they probably don't care either. They they're like most of them past it when and they just. They're too far gone. They're they're not interested and or a lot of people are just a little bit too old for the technology side of things, you know, kind of getting the older generation, which are still using iPhone 6 and stuff. Like, they don't keep up to date with it, most of them, all the rest of it. So they're not going to do anything about it. So it is literally Mm -hmm. our generation now, which can... it's If we don't raise awareness around the effects of it all and how to combat it, then what is the future going to look like? The future is going to look like, I think, more... Um, more people getting diagnosed with ADHD, more like the baseline of dopamine in the average person is going to just slightly rise, uh, massively rise. I think uh, the effects of that on mental health is only going to increase. Like it's 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 not looking good at all. It really isn't. And I, I really do assess my own perspective on it, and I really try and think: is this just a, is this just the reality I I live in because it's my work? But I really don't think it is. I think that is the reality. You know what I mean? I think that is yeah. the world we live in. And yeah, I think a lot of people 
would be um, that'd be silly to think otherwise really like in terms of oh, it's all going to be all right and ai is beautiful and like look you mentioned there steven technology is okay Te i love technology it's how i earn my money it's how i live yeah I, if it wasn't for technology i don't know what i'd be doing you know we do we're using it right now we'll have this conversation <laughs> you know what i mean yeah it's such yeah. a beautiful thing but just as much as it is beautiful it is dangerous and like I said, I think it's always that needs to raise the awareness around the effects of it. Otherwise, the next generation have got a big, big problem on their hands. Just yeah, a quick question: you talked, you talked about, uh, you talked about uh, ADHD. What's your opinion on what you, you know, as a nutritionist, somebody that works with health and well-being? Um, what do you think? Why there is such a, a, a rise on ADHD? And what do you think it is? Hundred percent. I think it's social media. Um, TikTok being the main one. Tick, like, yeah. I honestly, I don't really believe kids should have TikTok. And I know for a fact, well, I say for a fact, I say it in real, so it's not a fact at all. But <laughs> um, <laughs> rewind. Um, the owner of TikTok doesn't let his children have TikTok. Um, or one no, of the owners. So it says a lot, right? Um, but even that aside, if you look like I've just mentioned before, my nephew having the split screen, like it, it should definitely have an age limit on it, and then also a usage limit as well. Like it'd be not that they'd ever do it because it's not their, it goes completely against their goals, but it'd be great to have like you can only use it for like half an hour a day or something. You know what I mean? And it's it's again, it comes down to what we're um, what we're taken in on a day-to-day -day basis and in the past the film was perfectly stimulating enough and you sit and you watch one screen one film for two hours happy days where now if it's like 30 second clips and if it's not stimulating enough in the first two seconds you've got another option so then that sensory input and the level of dopamine that creates and the stimulation that you get mentally from that has just went from down here to up here but then it's like, okay, well, the more time, and this is where it's a, it's a, it's a, a really, really bad route because the more time, and this also goes with virtual reality as well, mm. but the more time you spend doing that, then the worse it's going to get because when you come away from it, you're going to be thinking, well, this is boring now, so I want to get back involved in it, so then I'll spend more time in it, but then the more time you spend on it, the worse it's going to get when you're away from it. So linking that in with virtual reality and, you know, the metaverse and all that, when that first came out, I was just like, fuck me, like, this is going to be so bad. This is going to be so bad. Because yeah. if I can have a virtual reality self, like, so this is me human, if I can have a virtual reality version of myself who can be richer, in better shape, who can be whoever I want him to be, then and I don't have to work for it, then when I'm in this form, human form, well, this is now boring because I'm only wearing Under Armour and not Gucci, and I'm only wearing a Garmin instead of a Rolex or whatever, right? And I'm only in this physical shape when in my virtual reality self, I'm in better shape, and I get more attention in that world. So in that instance, if that becomes a thing, and I really do think it will, I want to spend more time in that world than this world, but the more time I spend in that world, the more this world gets boring. And this version of myself, I start hating a little bit more. <laughs> so then I'm going to spend more time in there. And it's just a constant backwards and forwards. I'll end up wanting to live in that world. 
It's an illusion, though, that world, though, isn't it? People, what people don't see, it's, it's an utter uh, illusion, you know, and people create an attachment to that illusion when really it, it's not there to serve you anything. It, it's like a, a, a state of bliss. That only It's like shopping. Oh, you know, oh, it's great going shopping, but only last, oh, you know, I've been shopping, I've spent a bit of money, or I've gone to the gym. You only feel better for a short time and then you feel like crap again or have you, oh, you've got bills to pay. So that state's always shifting your emotion. So like you said before, Kieran, it's all about bringing yourself back to the present. If learning about inner peace and going within, you'll learn about the state of, of, of love and peace and, and that truth. Otherwise people keep chasing something does doesn't really exist. And it is scary, isn't it? I mean, I see it now. I mean, I'll sit, I, I'm getting better. And before, I mean, you'll know, you know, when you run, run your own business, you feel like you're on call all the time and you can see how a mobile phone is, it becomes a prison every two minutes. And, and I'm aware of that. And I'm thinking, how can I get away from, you know, they don't call it a cell phone for no reason. Cell phone, you know, prison. Uh, and now I'm learning. I'm, I was th thinking about m moving my mobile phone at night outside my bedroom and having my old fashioned alarm clock again, because I'm just looking every two minutes and it's like an addiction. I think it's one of the 100%. worst addictions. 100% mate. The, it's one of the first things I actually get my clients uh, to do when they join my coaching. I get them to turn all their notifications off. Like, so my phone is like a dead phone. It never goes off. It's always on silent and there's zero notifications on. Like when I look at it, it's it's blank pretty much. You know what I mean? Uh, I choose when I go into my apps, I choose when I speak to people rather than everyone trying to just pinch my attention and, I, and yeah. trying to speak to me when, they, when it's convenient for them because it might not be convenient for me. You know what I mean? And I think that in itself is such... Um, it, firstly, it's hard to do. A lot of clients that first join my program, they're, they're scared. They're scared to turn the notifications off, which is sad. I think it's nothing but sad. And the reason why they're scared to turn it off is FOMO, the fear of missing out. What if yeah. such and such? What if such and such? And look, I, I, I'm very case dependent. So there is some people who... I don't know, they've maybe got an autistic child and they get get phone calls from school often to come pick the child because something's been wrong or whatever, right? Totally get it. Maybe don't turn your notifications on. Maybe you have your phone calls on loud, blah, 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 whatever. We can tailor it around the person's individual needs, but generally get it as dead as you possibly can. Um, that's the first thing I'd get people to do. If And, and most people do just get that freedom missing out because, it, again, it's that stimulation. If their phone is going ping, 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 it's like, Oh well, no one wants to speak to me. I'm bored, and like the the it's it's almost a nice feeling that people want to con connect with you, right? So if yeah. they manage to actually do it, um, another thing I'd uh, I'd say is um, at least once a week have uh, like no phone or at least your SIM card in like an old shit Nokia type phone. You know what I mean? Like where it doesn't have it's not a smartphone. It doesn't have internet really. Yeah. It's texts and calls. It's the most peaceful day you'll have in a long time you know what i mean <laughs> it, it's interesting it, it, i think it just resets you a little bit and you do realize like how much time you spend on it because yeah. it's funny like i um i think i've even got it in my drawer here me, me shit phone but um 
when you do have it, the amount of times you go to, even with a shit phone and like it doesn't have any internet, even the amount of times you pick it up to, to go on Instagram and you're thinking, oh, I haven't even got it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It is an addiction. <laughs> and it, we've got to really be aware of the the patterns our subconscious mind builds up. So um, it's difficult for me because I actually work on social media. I spend a lot of time on it, obviously. But I also don't want to spend like crap time on it. I don't want to spend time scrolling. I want to be going on there, doing a job, uploading value, replying to messages and then coming off. But I do catch myself scrolling sometimes. And I've often, and no doubt people are related to this, you want to go on your phone to, I don't know, phone your dad or something. But your thumb clicks on social media and Instagram. And you've, you've spent half an hour scrolling. You thought, oh, no, yes. shit, I phone my dad. You didn't go on. You didn't go on to... To go on Instagram, you went on to phone your dad, but your thumb just happened to click on Instagram. So it's like you have not even got control over your thumb. It's like, come on, <laughs> you know. But it's yeah. that subconscious build up, that sub, uh, built up subconscious pattern that we need to break. So there's other things um, we can do, like putting on uh, uh, locks on our apps. So there's like apps you can download. It'll put a, a pattern over it. So if you click on Instagram or Facebook, or whatever, you have to enter a, a pin code or a pattern to get into it. And it's just a, a pattern interrupt and a little break where you can think, hang on, did I actually want to come on this or was I going on my phone for something else? Now, that's talking just about you having full control over kind of what you do. Let's say your notifications on your phone were on and I went to go on my phone to phone my dad, but I've got a Snapchat, I've got an Instagram, I've got a Facebook message, I've got this and that. Blah. The likelihood of me passing all them and going and phoning my dad's unlikely because I've just got 100 people want to speak to me. So it's making it myself, it's making it even harder, you know? So that's another reason to get your notifications off. The, the subconscious will build up so many patterns very, very, very quick. That's hard enough, never mind having notifications on saying, read me, you know? Even that one there, which I mentioned about having the pattern, um, on the apps over time your subconscious will learn that pattern so i even when i've had that i've let's say i went to phone my dad but my thumbs clicked on instagram entered the pattern and then i'm like oh shit after 10 minutes i went on i was meant to phone my dad 10 minutes ago you know what i mean so i've then got to change the pattern <laughs> so it's it's you've got to in my mind i try and hack myself i try and assess what tendencies have i got which aren't serving me okay well i'm going to hack myself Another one I, uh, on that line um, is like your alarm clock. A lot of us use our phones as our alarm clocks. Yeah. You've got a tendency to roll over and press snooze. And realistically, you can say, I'm, I'm going to do a week of no snoozing. And you maybe do a few days, but subconsciously cleverer than our conscious, really. So you're probably going to end up pressing snooze again. So you're just going to have to hack yourself. Well, what's the answer? Okay, well, don't use your phone as the alarm clock. Get a really annoying alarm clock and put it to the other side of the room. So you have to get up and get out of bed to go and knock it off. Or even better, get your phone in another room or whatever. So then it's like, it, especially if it's annoying, you're going to have to get up and go and knock it off because you want to knock it off because it's annoying. So it's like, you've got to just be aware of your own tendencies and then hack yourself. But then again, well, you can't do none of that without presence. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just want to... Go on, Chris. Sorry. Go for it. <laughs> no, go for it. <laughs> no, I, I was just saying absolutely amazing. And I think uh, anybody that's listening to the podcast, I think we can all relate to this because no matter what part of the world you are in, what kind of work you're in, I think we can all relate to. It. And it just shows you how much me, the social media has con has this control. We've allowed that control and how easily 
we can be manipulated and really it's again unprogramming being bring bringing that energy inward self-inquiring and really cutting the patterns and as much as you created the patterns and I, but I've got a different spin at it as well because I think these systems, these negative systems, have been created to really help teach humanity uh, about about themselves. And and I say keep creating these things because it's just waking more people. There are more people like us, Kieran, actually, that are becoming aware of this. And I'm hoping, you know, I'm hoping that in the future, people, more people, and hopefully the, our children and, and grandchildren will maybe cut away from this very very negative so for me there's probably more negative side to it um than, than positive but i want to yeah. move away a little bit from the social yeah. media side and move towards a little bit on nutrition and you're quite passionate about nutrition so how important is nutrition to mental health so when we look at that mental health what kind of stuff do you sort of empower people in your coaching so we can link this in a couple of different ways, actually, because as you were talking then, I was actually thinking, well, the spirituality side of things, linking that into what we've just been talking about with social media. And another reason why I'm going down the spirituality route is because it is making me more self-aware. So yeah. it's making me more present. When I done Cambo, one of the biggest things I got from it was an increase in presence. So don't mean, I know you want to go down the nutrition route, which is all going to link in here, but to finish off the social media side of things and then spirituality, mm. the um, the spirituality side of things, the, the social media side of things is what it is, and it requires great self-awareness, which the spirituality side of things can really help with. And I really, again, bringing this right down to like actionable step, steps today, because I know for a fact people will re watch this and they'll think, oh, I'm just too busy. I'm going to minute to myself to sit and inquire and do this and do that. Well, get fucking organized, get organized yeah. and stop wasting time. Firstly. Yeah. Create time. Well, so obviously we can't create time, but uh, the way I kind of get more time out my clients week is by doing things today, which will save us time tomorrow. And I really believe it's the best way to create more time. So, Linking this in with the nutrition side of things and spirituality and everything else. Um, you mentioned uh, the nutrition before. And as you were talking, as you guys are going from the spiritual route down to the physical side of things, I really believe that they all benefit each other. So let's say you've got kind of spiritual, physical, and mental. And I've obviously went down and tick the nutrition box first, then the mental, and now I'm ticking the, the spiritual box, and yours are going the other way. But you mentioned before as well, uh, there's a lot of people who are very, like, spiritual and they've had uh, um, trouble with the physical. If they improve their physical, I honestly really believe their spiritual growth would be faster than they have done, like, or faster than it has been forever. You know what I mean? Um, and I really agree. Believe with these kind of, let's just these three things in particular, and we could add on lifestyle, relationships, environment, and everything else, but we'll stick with these three. I think when you progress one, you are in a position where if you progress the others, it will also progress that one as well. So bringing it back to your, to your question, Stephen, of nutrition and how important is it for mental health, it is super important. It's also super important for spirituality as well. And I think mental health and physical nutrition, it makes up 
our our being, our physical being, should I say. So, like, I'm sat here now, you can't see, I've got three bottles of this around me, um, and, and I've been drinking this throughout the, 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 the podcast so far. Subconsciously, I've not even been thinking about it just because it's in front of me. And um, being hydrated and nutrition in, in particular, when you break it down to uh, um, the, mi- the, the micro level, it's cell regeneration. It literally yeah. repairs our physical being. So it's quite important. <laughs> um, on the macro level, like things like just thinking clear, brain fog. Like for me now where I am at, I am very much about mental like optimization. So I like being really, really clear thinking, um, really kind of just on it. You know what I mean? Uh, a great supplement I personally take is Lion's Mane. Um, it's a yeah, mushroom. brilliant. Love it. Absolutely love it. And um, it was great. I recommend this to a lot of clients because it's, it's like pure mental clarity for me personally. So supplements, nutrition, the food we eat, uh, hydration, it's a lot of little boxes to tick, but when you tick them, you feel so so good. You feel so much a better version of yourself. Now, mentally and physically, I really think they are very, very closely linked. So someone who is really out of shape physically, often it's a good sign and a good insight into their mental. So someone who's really obese, I've not men, met many obese people or someone who's really out of shape physically who has strong mental health and really, really good mental health, but vice versa. And this is obviously generalized and there will be outliers, but someone who is in um, better shape and really, let's say a better shape, good shape, and they take pride in their physical, often will have good mental health. And again, there will be outliers, there will be people exercising excessively because they're obsessed and they have body dysmorphia and all that. But generally speaking, I think physical and mental both go in line. They are very, very closely linked. If you improve one, the other will improve. And it's something I see reading clients. And this is why I work on with nutrition. I work mental and physical. Um, because if I improve someone's physical health, the likelihood of their mental health improving is quite high, but vice versa, right? Um, so to answer your question of how important is it? The most important the most important because again it's literally our food is regenerating our cells and what our cells yeah. are made up of is the food we eat and unfortunately like i'm not a, i'm not an expert in this area by any means but i do know the quality of our food these days is terrible it's convenient crap i know um convenience in itself is a thing which is making the world obese like mcdonald's is not so successful um for well, it's successful for many reasons but a big reason is convenience the uber eats yeah. Deliveroo, they've just took off they're absolutely huge they're everywhere you know and it's because well, it, it's increased so much i mean i i can remember as, as a kid it'd be like takeaway on a friday night treat night and now you're seeing it where it's just everywhere and links in. You can press a button on your phone and next minute food's appearing at the door. Yeah, It's that convenience in it that it's tapping mm-hmm. into. Again, if you look at like the average person who's just kind of go, 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 life's just getting away with them. They're not organized. They're, they're constantly just here, there and everywhere. They're, that 
they're that busy. The last thing I want to think about is cooking a family meal. I will just order takeaway. It's so easy. I've been there. I've done it, you know, and, and I think the average person, I really feel like the average person just needs a minute. You know what I mean? They just need to have a minute to just think and stop and and have a breath. You know what I mean? To assess this stuff. And hopefully it's podcasts and conversations like this that gets them to stop and think. Yeah, yeah because I think, you know, seeds. all these... Yeah, and I think, you know, for anybody who's listening here, it's, it's all relatable. Uh, absolutely. I mean, there's things that Kieran's talked about and I'm like... Yeah, I've done that or I do that. And, and, you know, even going back to the the mobile phones, we work with a lot of people who have sleep problems, which it feels to me, it might just be my perception, but it seems there's more people with sleep problems than ever. It just seems everywhere. And the first thing myself and Stephen ask them is, um, what do you do before you go to bed that last hour? And what the top answer comes up? I've got caught scrolling before and we're so active then. Can't get off to sleep, not shutting down at all. Yeah. I think the best question people can ask themselves is in any area like this is how does this benefit my life? Because I tell you what, yeah. and, the, and the question I often ask my clients is if I know they're a scroller, is tell me something that benefited your life from the last time you scrolled because they can't remember now. They take in that much, nothing sticks. It is literally wasting your life, literally wasting your life. Yeah, and I, I, I find just, just sorry, I just want to sorry, just want to interject there. Just one thing, I think when we talk about nutrition as well, I, I find what a lot of clients we work with, a lot of them don't know how to cook as yes. well. I think we've bred this new generation, and and you know, be creative. You know, people say it's costing a lot of money to 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 buy um you know nice healthy fruit and vegetables and it's not i mean to make a nice soup to make a healthy spaghetti bolognese be creative i try to encourage people to to cook and 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 i think the word being when we went did the fasting and we did the juicing i felt that what really the thing that really helped me was be organized if i prepped and organized for the week i knew it would be too easy on the third or fourth day was I can't be bothered. I'm not going to make any and being organized, being prepared and, and really getting off your ass and be, get yourself motivated. And, yeah. you know, and I think that's important as well. I think uh, there's an overlying reason behind a lot of these problems. So we've mentioned people don't know how to cook. They don't, they don't, I, I can fully say a lot of people, they don't know how to be healthy. It's a given, right? Mentally or physically. Um, they, we don't know the effects of social media. Uh, a lot of people don't even know anything about spirituality. They kind of stumble across it because some hippie from down the road said something which got you thinking. And then, <laughs> you know, you kind of, you know what I mean? So it's like spirituality isn't a thing really for most people. Um, and I think there's an overlying reason why, which it's not taught in schools. No one teaches you, like you've mentioned organizing as well. Like, so, so many people aren't organized. Who teaches you how to get organized? Who teaches you the skills of organization and structure? Who teaches you the skills of being physically healthy and mentally healthy and how to kind of fight um, adversity and deal with problems, you know? Um, like I often say, like, we don't get taught how to think. 
who teaches you how to think? You don't, right? You just think the way you think, which is probably given you from your parents, which is given from their parents and so on and so forth. But then if you're then, you haven't had the best upbringing and know that you guys will know about trauma and stuff. And I believe everyone's yeah. got trauma. But if you've got a worse of upbringing, then, oh, okay, well, you're up against it compared to someone who hasn't had as a bad of upbringing, let's say. Um, so really this stuff, it does need to be taught in skills, but it's not going to be. And I'm confident in saying, and I, again, I'll probably be proven wrong, but I'm pretty sure the school system is one of the only systems which hasn't changed at all. I believe the school system was created in like 1902, something like that. And it was created um, to create factory workers. I'm pretty Employees, sure it yeah. is still the same now. Okay, subjects might have changed, but it's pretty much the same thing. And until that changes, I don't think anything's going to change. Homeschool, yeah. I, we know a lot of, we know a lot of uh, yeah, friends of the getting a lot more popular and i don't i don't have children um i have just niece and nephew but i would not how i feel what the knowledge that i've got i would not put a child at school because they you know you know i learned a few little bits but i've learned a lot more the past 10 years of my own research self-inquiring and i think it would have been a lot easier if 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 children were taught one about meditation which i'm very passionate about teaching mm -hmm. every child about meditation and home economics learning about debt and managing money managing mental health and i think apprenticeships more practical application not and you know being at school i mean i come from i'm half german and and the, the german school system is a lot different you're only at school till 12 o'clock or one o'clock and, and that's it. And here in England, you're at school till three o'clock. I mean, I can't concentrate that long now, <laughs> you know, and, and God, for, I feel sorry for the kids now. I really, really do. It needs changing. It needs burning down the whole system. I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. And I heard something the other day, which was quite um, mind blowing, really. And it was that, on average now, kids spend 35 minutes a day with their parents, taking into consideration, like, them going to school, maybe activities mm -hmm. afterwards, time on the iPad, um, they don't sit at the table anymore, in the room, playing out, all this sort of stuff. It's on average of 35 minutes a day with their parents, which then you've got to think, well, okay, if they're only spending 35 minutes a day with their parents, who's influencing them? Who's teaching them? Who, who are they? Where are they getting their... Who's helping shape that child to become an adult? You know what I mean? So it's like, I wouldn't like not, I wouldn't like to leave TikTok up to shape my son or daughter's subconscious mind. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, I, I agree with you completely. It's uh, the schooling system is it's just like a factory, really, to to pump out people to pay the taxes, mortgage, get a job, and 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 be part of that system. You know, uh, speaking of myself, I can remember when I left school. And my first job, it was actually um, painting sheds and putting them together with this guy. But I think I learned more about life that summer than I had mm. done in anything in school. It taught me a lot and the people I met. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, experiencing those things and getting involved and creativity as well. You know, there's so many creative people that we meet and it's like stunted within them. It's yeah. like an accordion pushed down. And you've got to slowly let that come up because everybody, you know, has got those unique skills within them. Everybody's got something to give. Yeah. Um, it's just that it's so squashed in a yeah, way totally. underneath these layers.
it's what I do with my clients. Like, I really believe we are all like capable of anything we put our minds to. I really do. And yeah. I don't want to sound like I'm living in fairyland, but when you take away the limiting beliefs, when you take away the lack of knowledge, because we can all pretty much learn anything these days with the internet and stuff, which again, there's a great point and use for it. But when you take away um, any kind of subconscious beliefs we've got about ourselves, when you take away our, how our environment affects us, take away all that. Like we are capable of anything. Like and I, put, I put up a story on Instagram yesterday about um, five things kids can teach us. If you look at a child, they do think they're capable of anything. They're sat on one sofa and they're yeah. going to try and jump to the other sofa three meters away and they're never going to make it. But they think they can. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're capable of anything. Fun is their top priority. All they want to do is have fun. And we forget this as adults. You know what I mean? Um, they don't. Kids don't care what people think. As adults in this day and age with the whole virtual reality self on social media portraying a certain image and they're not meeting it in real life. Oh, well, now I'm bothered yeah. about what people think. So not caring what people, others think. And that is such a, such a big one that I see pff, with a hell of a lot of people. There's very, very few people can be authentic these days, I think. Um, so kids don't care what, what others think. Um, not taking life too seriously as well. You know, kids don't take life too seriously. There's so many things. If you can look at a child and there's a lot we can learn from them as an adult, I think anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And and it, it sort of brings something up about, you know, letting go of that fear of what people think. That, that's a huge thing with a lot of people. And, and that's why I feel we should never lose. You know, I think it's a silly sentence of like grow up uh, because really in a way we should never grow up because as children were totally fearless you know mm -hmm. totally joyful we go for yeah. it um but it's interesting with what you said and i actually watched not so long ago now people have very mixed opinions on david ike mentioned it um, mm -hmm. but it was actually a, a podcast he did the true geordie podcast and he made a very good point i felt on that and he said you know letting go or not giving a shit about what people think is the most empowering thing you can do and also compliment or a criticism should be taken the same way, neither matter. Yeah, that's good, that. I, like that. I, I think that's so powerful because what matters when it comes down to it is what feels right for you. If it sits right for you, it will be right. Yeah. You know, gut feeling, intuition, consciousness, whatever we want to call it. But what I want to lean into a little bit with this, I'm sort of backtracking. I know we've flipped a few times tonight, but um, is going back to sort of the... Uh, you know, anxiety, ADHD, a lot of that's going on, a lot of mental health stuff. And what we observe a lot is in, you know, obviously kindness and compassion is important and, and sort of showing up for people when they need that or there's been a lack of it is absolutely important. But also mm -hmm. what we're seeing is sometimes we're sort of also on the other side, wrapping people in cotton wool and not being entirely truthful to them. So maybe somebody's having anxiety, depression, and maybe, for example, I'm just giving an example, they're overweight. So we won't say it because we don't want to hurt the feelings. So we say, oh, I can't say that. So I'm going to go about it another way. And to me, what I'm seeing, particularly last week or so, it's just dawning on me really strong is that's not helping that person at all. What's going to help them is being truthful. Now, that doesn't mean we have to be unkind, but yeah. just being straight and, yeah. and cutting the bullshit and saying, yeah, you know, if you definitely. want to come out of this, here it is. It's up to you. 
but this is the truth. And you yeah. know, some of the best people in my life that I've ever met have been truthful with me. 100%. Sometimes it stings, but it helps. And 100%. just just want to hear your thoughts on that. I I have thought about this topic a lot actually, and uh, I mentioned I done Peter Crohn's six month mastermind course, and it was very very impactful. I'll never say a bad word about it. Um, however, one thing I did learn was compassion and understanding because I got brought up in a household where emotion wasn't a thing. Like it was a household of three brothers. Mum was the only female. It was a very non-emotional household, very non-emotional. Um, so compassion for me, like it wasn't even, it wasn't that long ago. I only like had to learn what it was. You know what I mean? Um, so during that course, anyway, the mastermind, I learned about compassion and understanding and trauma and the reasons why you are how you are and the way you think and, and the beliefs that you have about yourself and all this sort of stuff. And it was great to understand it and it was great to kind of make sense of it all. But I do think it was almost like a reason and almost like an excuse. So it's like, if someone's overweight, you could say, oh, well, you know, you had two parents which were overweight, so the likelihood of you being overweight is quite high, so it's not really your fault, you know what I mean? It's, you know, um, the uh, you've, not that you've got the fat genes, but like that type of attitude, uh, you, you, were, you were destined to be overweight, the likelihood of that happening is very high. And it almost, it takes the urgency away and takes the responsibility away when, you've, yeah. when you give too much compassion. Um, so... I done that mastermind. I learned all about the compassion, all the understanding, the reasons why. And don't know if you want to open this kind of worms, but I then also came across Andrew Tate and his way of speaking and his directness and his um, the way he speaks and the way he acts, the way he lives and the way he preaches and the message he gives out. And I can honestly say, for me personally, that was a really really impactful just as much as impactful if not more impactful than the six-month mastermind that that i paid thousands of pounds for and when i say the andrew tate thing i mean like i've watched a lot of his long-form podcasts i've i'm a very critical analyzer um i've tried to challenge a lot of what he says but the underlying message is as a man raise your fucking standards is what i got yeah. from him Raise your fucking standards. Take responsibility. You've got one. You've got one life, human life. Let's call it. Um, no one's coming to save you. Like, stop fucking. Get out your pit. Stop like feeling sorry for yourself. You know this is good. This people won't like this. But man, the fuck up and get on with it. And in a world where it's like you mentioned there, you don't want to say that because you don't want to offend them. In a world where everyone gets offended at everything. I think yeah. you do need to reset the balance a little bit with a bit of straight talking. And it's definitely the way I put my message out there. It's definitely my more go-to way of speaking. But I am very aware that there's a time and a place for it. If someone's depressed and they've had a really bad six months, the last thing they need to is, you're a fat shit, sort your, sort your life out. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's, some people need a shoulder to cry on. Yeah, yeah. Some people absolutely. need told, like, you're not being a good dad right now. 
and some people need told straight. Some people need it no holds barred. Like this is what you are doing to yourself and to your family or whatever it might be. And it's it's case dependent as always. But I definitely think the compassion can very much um, come across and for a lot of people almost act like an excuse. It's 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 almost seems like you know feeding into becoming the victim. So if we're feeling like I'm the victim, uh, you know everything's against me, da da da. And then somebody comes along, oh yeah, oh poor you. It's almost like keeping you there in a way. Um, I've worked with a client of mine recently, and um, and it was actually during a, 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 a reading online that I did. But I ended up having a chat because I couldn't believe it. We were talking like this over Zoom. And the room was pitch black. Uh, and bless her, she was just in a tough spot. Total absence of love in her family life and such. And all I did was, in many ways, just give her some simple tools very gently. I say, you know, just think about let a bit of light in your room. That's a start. If you can get a bit of fresh air, you don't have to walk miles. Just walk to the corner shop and back and implement those little things every day and mm -hmm. slowly you'll start coming out because i i believe if people are in such a tough spot yanking them out of that can cause more trauma and more problems Definitely. and, and just that, too quickly won't be able to handle it right yeah, yeah and it's just and just to me just that simplicity and it's like you can do it and i know that <laughs> the person i spoke to they won't be watching this i don't think um the neighbor kept coming in and making cups of tea every morning for and I know the neighbour and I went, maybe try going, I'll put your cup out on the side, the tea bag's in it, I'll leave you to do the rest. And I think that is an approach, a good approach, not doing everything and going, you're a victim, yeah. I'm going to save you. I'm going to help you out here a bit, but you've got to do your bit as well. And I feel that's really important in our approach, you know, whether we're coaches, whoever, if you're talking to a friend, if you're helping out a member of the family, of you got to meet me halfway if we're going to do this. Yeah, definitely. One thing I, I really try and do, especially on these podcasts, is not talking absolutes and and really kind of gen well, and say something which he means like everyone. You know what I mean? Because it's not; it is all very case dependent. Like a lot of my clients do need a shoulder to cry on, and I can very much give that. But I think a lot of people do also need told straight. And and like what you're talking about there. The last thing she or he sounds like he needs is told straight, you know what I mean? So it's very, very case dependent. Um, but a little kind of mix of both, and and like anything in life, in my opinion, the sweet spot is always in the middle. And I really believe like there's a scale for everything. So, you know, straight talk on one end, really compassion, understanding, and and mollycoddle on the other end. The sweet spot's often in the middle, and so you can take Tom, literally yeah. take, take anything. You know, right down to water intake. Okay, do I have? Do I not drink anything, or do I drink ten liters there? Well, sweet, spot, sweet spots probably in the middle. Nutrition. You mentioned nutrition before. Um, eating healthy food. Let's call it, even though it's all about moderation. Well, do I go hundred percent healthy and don't eat anything processed whatsoever, or do I go the other end? It's go well. Sweet spots probably in the middle. You know what I mean? And even with this stuff we're talking about, with spirituality and mental health and physical health, someone might be listening, thinking, well, where the hell do I start? Firstly, start with one that you feel most pulled towards um but don't neglect the others you know the sweet spot's always in the middle i i kind of go with anyway absolutely i think, I mean, 
I've literally said them words many times. You know, when we're having uh, myself and Stephen are talking, or we're talking about anything, any subject you go to, I've said that many times. And what we're seeing, I have, I feel we're living in a world of extremes, one way or another, at the minute. Totally. If you talk to somebody about many subjects, could be any subject, there'll be extremes one way or another that can split yeah. a room. And I always said the sweet spot is it's spot on it is somewhere in between, and that's why most most of the times, um, you know, I've I've got people I know, and I just will avoid talking about certain subjects because I know where it's going to go. Honestly, like you've hit the nail on the head there, absolutely with the extremes thing, and um, it really it frustrates me a little at how poor people are at communicating. Really, you know, like I've mentioned Andrew Tate there, probably one of the most split down the middle people on the planet right now, and um, I'd be fully open to someone say bringing me a lot of a lot of evidence of X, Y, and Z, and fully open to changing my mind. I'm not so, because I've watched a few podcasts, so, like, you know, pro-Andrew Tate or pro-anything. Like, you've got to be willing, and I don't almost argue the case, go and look for someone to challenge you on your way of thinking. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I ran a, a weekend um, a few months ago, a few months ago called the High Caliber Men's Weekend. And the idea behind it was I wanted to get a lot of people from all over the UK who are very um, busy in their life and don't have much fun and just bring them together for a really fun weekend with the lads. Now, I wanted to mix together a bit of mental, a bit of physical, a bit of emotional, spiritual, and social. So we're in often in the lakes, done loads of activities. Um, we've done a live podcast there. We had a drink on the Saturday night, so social time. It was just a dead fun weekend. And the came, everyone came away feeling so refreshed compared to a weekend going on the lash with the lads and coming home feeling like you need a, you know, a week off work. It was great. Now, the reason why I'm bringing that up is because one of the things there was, um, uh, one of the things I created was 10 commandments for high caliber men. And one of the commandments was uh, respecting others' beliefs. Sorry, um, it was challenging opposing beliefs whilst respecting theirs. And I think that there is the key to everyone making progress. So if I say, um, I don't know, good nutrition is X, Y, and Z, but then someone else would say, well, the other end of the scale, it's perfect if me and him can have a conversation because there's going to be two things that happen. Either we'll have a little debate about what he thinks and what I think, and either kind of I'll have better points and he'll have to agree with me or I'll agree with him. And I'll either walk away knowing more confidently what I think good nutrition is, is uh, is correct and accurate, or I'll get proven and see a different side of the, get proven wrong, see a different side of the coin and be open to a different suggestion and maybe even learn something from what he thinks, right? Because again, I often say we only know how to think the way we think. And until we meet someone who thinks differently, we're only going to think that way and continue getting that kind of result. So really we want to find other people that don't think like us, challenge their beliefs but whilst respecting them and most people can't respect other people's beliefs it's a i'm right you're wrong i'm you know you're the dickhead i'm normal whatever you know what i mean it's very like very extreme as you said i don't like you but a lot of people as well i find i find that um 
people get triggered and and i and i say well good you know if you've been triggered it's okay to have a different opinion but i i know and i used to get myself <laughs> i don't know how i got triggered you know i don't watch anything political i just feel like i want to smash the tv and these dickhead <laughs> of politicians uh but I, there's something in me that i've been triggered because i'm part of the collective and part of the world we're moving away i say to people when we look at our politicians they are only a reflection of the people which is us we they are there to serve they've come back to play that role to help us awaken our sovereign power so that we can become empowered so we don't have to rely on doctors we don't have to rely on nurses for our health and well-being and i think observing is is something that i've really come to learn these past couple of years you learn so much by by observing and and that's where the true listening sitting observing and listening because before because even you know before you want to have the next opinion that in, and you're talking and you, you want to give your next thoughts about something but when you take a step back i've learned nobody's rabbited on more than me half the time but i love sitting watching and observe chris says it to me you're quiet you're too quiet and i was like i'm learning to observe and and you learn so much from people just taking a step back. Yeah, definitely. Again, that's another thing, though. People aren't taught how to listen, how to communicate. I learned from Peter Crone, the, the mastermind that I've done, how to communicate effectively and be a, more conscious of the words that I use and how the words we use are really coming from our subconscious mind. So you can teach a lot and learn a lot from people's language. Language is, the, is a very, very powerful thing. Uh, and like I'm not... Like I said at the very start, I'm a very C grade type of guy. I, I'm my English was is crap, and and um, my grammar's terrible. But I like to think I, I'm really conscious of the way I speak, and I'm very careful of the words I use. And even numerous times during this podcast, I've stopped myself, retraced my steps, and said it a different way because it's more accurate, right? Um, you mentioned something then, and, and uh, I was going to say something there. Um, I forgot. It'll come to us. I forgot. Sorry. What? I, I just wanted to pick up on, you know, differing opinions as well and mention something that, that I watched. It was oh, that was actually... intriguing. Sorry, we can go back to that. Yeah. No. And it just just quickly about the, um, just because somebody doesn't hold the same view as us doesn't mean they're the enemy. Yeah. And I think we're seeing a lot of that. Doesn't They're just doing what they feel to be right, you know, and if they are acting out of whatever, that that's that's their life to do the same. But I'm, I see that a lot. And to be honest, I've, I've witnessed it sort of in myself and pulled myself on it where you go, you know, just because they're thinking that way doesn't mean they're, they're the enemy or the bad guy. 100%. It's just an opposing view. Yeah. It's, it's, you need that, you know, because it'd be quite boring if everyone thought the same thing as well. Yeah. Everyone I mean, had what's the same that? opinions and everything. Yeah. What was that Ricky Gervais thing, Stephen, that you kept repeating that he said he said it on a podcast, Ricky Gervais, something like you'd have to be completely ignorant to think everybody's going to agree with you yeah. in the world. Yeah. And you're always going to be right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. It's uh I really I do like meeting people that have opposing views because like I said, it's only going to lead in growth. Um it's it's gonna lead yeah. to you being more confident in your opinion that that's right and accurate, or you're open to a different uh, different way of thinking. But yeah, what you said there before, Stephen, about being triggered, I think it's worth touching on that because being triggered, in my opinion, is is the is the mirror to an area of yourself that needs to be worked on. And um, it's something that I teach my clients with getting triggered about things of like, I don't know, um, like if, if one of you guys said, oh, 
you know, you talk shit, Kieran. You're like, and you try to insult, insult, insult me by saying I was fat. I'm not going to get triggered by that because I know I'm not fat. I don't view myself as fat. However, let's say I'd let myself go a little bit over the last few months, and I wasn't trained, I wasn't eating well, and I was, I was thinking, I'm putting on a bit of weight here. Whether I am or not, it doesn't matter. Let's say I think that, and one of you guys call me fat. I'd probably get triggered about it because now that tells me, uh, right, he's spotted it, he's pointed it out, I'm pissed off, but I'm going to have a go at you for being the bad guy. No, you need to look inwards and think, why have I been triggered at that? I've been triggered at that because I've been eating shit for the last three months and I've not been training when I know I'd feel much better if I did. So being triggered is a brilliant, brilliant way to find an area of yourself that isn't healed and or needs worked on. You know what I mean? So it's... um, in the day and age that we live in, like I said before we started, actually didn't know about um, my first dose of hate online. And it was people that had been triggered. And in a world where everyone gets offended at everything, it's it's a sorry state. It's a sorry state. I really believe you could save an old woman from a burning building and there'll still be someone have a go at you. There'll still yeah. be someone <laughs> upset at you. Like, and, and I think you've really... It's difficult, I think, but you've really got to, like what you were saying there, Chris, you've got to understand that they just don't think like you and have a, have a bit of compassion for them because if they're that offended at so much so minuscule, they've clearly got a lot of shit on, you know what I mean? They've clearly got a lot of work to do. They've clearly had a traumatic upbringing or whatever it might be, you know, and, and respecting other people's realities when I kind of got that, I was just very much like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. It takes the sting out of when people say stuff to you that you don't agree with. Yeah, just just like healthy boundaries and, and and you know, going back to what you said about triggers, it's looking at them a different way where it'd be easy to look at it as, oh, that's really upsetting and, and such, but it's so valuable to your growth. Totally. Like those moments are so valuable. Totally. And I think uh, linking this in with the spirituality and the mindset type of things, like once you start really kind of um, getting your ego in check, less and less things trigger you, right? And one question I've always asked all of my mentors and any kind of influential person or any conscious person I manage to meet is how do you spot your blind spots? Because for me, like I'm really obsessed with finding my own blind spots because there's not much that triggers us these days there's not much that stresses me out there's not much um there's there, i find it hard to find areas of growth you know again i can only think the way i think i can reflect so much but again i can't see what i can't see in myself and, and i really believe everyone's yeah. the same in terms of their blind spots are an area of themselves which that obviously I never knew was there until someone else shows you or some plant medicine shows you or some spiritual thing shows you or whatever, right? So linking in with being triggered, once you're at a level where your ego's in check and nothing more triggers you, you're respecting people's realities, well, how do you continue going from there? And this is, again, linking this in with this whole spirituality side of things. This is why I'm going down that route now because that can show me areas of me which I wasn't aware of. So I'll quickly tell you a little story of, um, it's a, it's a quite a good one, this, of a, a I've done a shamanic healing practice uh, quite four months or something ago. And um, I, I first time I've ever done anything like that. And the guy, he'd done his 
done his thing. And uh, as I was lying there, kind of in a meditative state, he asked me, uh, where does the guilt come from? I was thinking, I don't know. I can't really put my finger on it. And he said, um, your mum is, uh, no, actually, I, I didn't tell him anything about my mum. And <laughs> one of the first questions I was before that question of guilt, uh, he actually asked me, what happened to your mum? So I was like, fuck it. Now I did not know. I, where's that come from? You know what I mean? Didn't yeah. tell him anything that my mum passed. Knew he wouldn't know anything about it. And that was the first question he asked me. The second question, sorry, was where does the guilt come from? And I didn't know. And I was like, honestly, don't know. Because if you ask me, have you got any guilt? I'd be like, no, no. I look at my previous self. I have compassion for my previous self. I understand my previous self was just doing his best at that time. Um. But anyway, long story short, I kind of left the shamanic healing. I went home and I was um, talking to my missus at the time. And as I was relaying it, it started falling into place. Now, I mentioned the food business uh, in a while ago. The food business is very up and down for me. It was very um, difficult. The bigger that grew, the more I declined physically and mentally. During that time in my life, I absolutely refused to give up. Refused to give up. I got to the point where I'd sold my car. And I was walking to work in the rain to just to just to pay my rent and stuff, right? And um, I now I think back, and as I was talking to my missus at the time, I was saying, you know what, like that food business, I refused to give up because I wanted to make that business so successful, I could pay my mom and dad back, and I could buy them the 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 house in America or the the RV, and they can travel America because that was their thing. They just love traveling America. Mom passed, so I then had this guilt of. I wasn't able mm. to make that business, make it and pay mom and dad back. So I was carrying this guilt, which I wasn't even aware of. I didn't have a clue was there until this guy brought it to my awareness. So I wanted to just to share that because not only was I able to relieve that guilt, understand that I had that deep inside, which I was, I was never, in my opinion, I don't think I would have ever become aware of it. How much reflection I'd have done, how much journaling I would have done, how much meditation I would have done. I don't think it would have happened unless I went and got the shamanic healing. And it took someone else who was probably a little bit more conscious than me, who was a little bit more spiritual than me, to show me part of me, which I didn't know was there. And I think that is a great kind of tie-up, really, linking the spirituality with blind spots being triggered and and self-inquiry and self-development and that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And it's like that. To me, it's just the, the the that sweet spot in anything that's the the undeniable mm. in many ways, and I and I and I feel you make a good point. You know, there's several good points there of what you've shared, but we don't always realise what we are carrying. Um, I compare it sometimes to like carrying a bag, and we've got this bag and we've had it for so long that we were used to the weight. It's not yeah. feeling like we're carrying extra weight. It's become part of us. So it's then those moments and, and the right situation, the right thing we're drawn to, the right people to hold that space. Mm-hmm. And then, oh my God, this, this, I have been carrying this and here it is, here it is being presented. Uh, and your and spirit as well. Thing, yeah, sorry, go on. No, go for it, Stephen. No, I, 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 think, I think when you look at a sort of a, a higher power, if you will, if you talk about the spirit here, you know, that that your guides and your ancestors that are there guiding you, they would have known that, and and I feel that they would have guided you. You perhaps even your mum in spirit, she would have guided you because she would have felt that as well to say let mm-hmm. that go. You have to hold on to that, and that, I think maybe they're on the collective. 
you know, I think nothing happens by accident. I think no. everything happens for a reason. 100%, mate. Like, the guy actually said he was doing the shamanic heel, and he said, your mum's with us now, and she wants a pure connection with you, but wow. she can't because you're carrying this guilt. I didn't even know it was there. You know what I mean? Like, when I um, when I done my cambo, I, uh, before that, the, the, the practitioner, um, brilliant practitioner, Claire, she highlighted inside of me a little bit of sadness and loneliness. Now, if you had asked me before that, are you sad and lonely? I'd be like, no way. You know what I mean? Not at all. But deep, deep, deep inside, in my blind spots, which I didn't know was there, right in the pit <laughs> of my stomach, was a little bit of loneliness and a little bit of sadness. And I believe everyone carries a little bit of sadness, but that loneliness was like, okay, it's brought to my attention. Why is that? Okay, it's maybe because I don't connect with as many people as I'd like to or or whatever it is. And you can start to understand it. And again, linking this back into what we said before about how does spirituality help our human experience? Well, that spiritual ceremony I went through with the Campbell, well, now I know there's a little bit of me that's lonely. So now I can kind of work on that in my day-to-day life. I can go and make new friends. I can get build better connections and all that sort of stuff. And what you mentioned there about... Um, kind of spirits guiding us and stuff. I've been to two spiritual festivals, you could call it, um, which it kind of just happened for me to be there. And I know for a fact, 100% my mom sent me there. So the last one, I mentioned the the men's mental health festival that I went to when I was a speaker. How that came about, again, it just kind of happened because it was actually my friend who got invited along and he was going to do a uh, like some cold water and breath work and stuff. And he said to them, oh, I've got a friend who does mental health and is a mental health coach, blah, blah, blah. Like he can maybe come along and do a talk and that. So like, I wasn't looking for them. They weren't looking for me. My friend didn't even end up doing the festival and I end up doing the festival, right? I end up going as a guest. And it, again, it was like, this has just happened out of nowhere, right? Anyway, during the festival, we were doing a sweat lodge. I don't know if you've ever done one of those before. So we were doing a sweat lodge and um I uh I first time I've ever done it, literally just kind of got in, was getting on with it, and in between the rounds, questions were getting asked, and one of the um questions was about how the the I don't know if it's a TP or the, the lodge, let's call it that where we sat in, how it's made up. It's got seven poles and the seven poles uh or um sticks kind of represent seven mysteries of the Lakota people and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, um, during the uh, question of the, like, how is this TP made up and stuff? Uh, it came out that I was sat in the Buffalo position, which is basically directly opposite the door. So it's like a circle. It's a circle TP and directly opposite the door, right at the very back. It's the Buffalo position. It's a, a position of um, power and courage. I think it was now, my mum's favourite animal was buffalo. It, it's all over the house. Buffalo's everywhere, right? And then there was a, a, a feather feather that got passed around. Like, so when someone talked, they held the feather so everyone wasn't shouting over each other and stuff. The feather was from a condor eagle. My old nickname was condor. So I was like, what the hell? This is weird. And then it kind of <laughs> just all fell into place. I was like, I didn't choose to come here. They weren't looking for me. It just kind of just happened. Yeah, out of everywhere I could have sat in that teepee in the sweat lodge, I was sat in the buffalo position and they're using a, a condor eagle feather to pass around. I was like, yeah, mum sent me here, totally. Wow. Yeah, and I love that. Amazing. It's the, it's what I'd call the, the, the undeniable that. 
it's 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 occurrences and things happening that are so uh, personal and you know and and you just know and you, it's undisputable so it's yeah and it was mental the uh the the other one uh was community festival it was a russell brand festival actually and um i'm going to it this year i can't wait it's going to be really good but last year it was a one day thing and i'd found out about it stumbled across it a couple of days before it was on i thought you know what i'm just going to pack the van and go i had a camper van jumped in the camper van just got off and went there and um it was like a no alcohol bit of spiritual um festival first time i've ever done anything like that again it was just really random that i was going you know Anyway, I got in there, and the first person I bumped into was Wim Hof. Know that you'll know who he is, right? Yeah, yeah. So I bumped into Wim Hof, and um, I I said to him, I owe you a thank you. And he was like, why? I said, because when my mom was deteriorating, she, all she wanted to do, and she said every morning, if I can just do my Wim Hof, I'll be all right. Because it was lung cancer, she was struggling for breath. So she kept saying, if I can just do my Wim Hof, I'll be all right to help get her breathing right, yeah? Now, when I said to, when I bumped into Wim Hof, I said, I owe you a thank you because what you do and what you've created gave my mom hope. It was probably never going to heal her and fix her lung cancer, but at least it gave her hope. Now, it was funny because I just met two lads and I was bawling my eyes out, crying with Wim Hof, like trying to <laughs> get my words out. And these two fellas looking at me thinking, what's going on here? Like, why is he crying? <laughs> um, and Wim Hof, he grabbed my head and put our heads together and he said, she's with us now. She's here, to, she's here with us. And like, I got shivers. I was like, fucking hell. Like, and then all that weekend, I got this overwhelming feeling that my mum was with me. And it was so strange. And there was a point, I've got the video on my phone. Wim Hof was singing this song. And I just had this, like, I guess, emotional release. And I just started crying because I felt my mum was with me. And I was like, she sent me here. Like, and and I've, I met people at that festival, which I wouldn't have obviously met if I didn't go, that are, like, really important to me, you know. So it's um, it was it was mental how, how it all happened. But like you said before, Stephen, the spirits and, and that side of things, I think, like you said as well, Chris, it's it's undeniable. It's undeniable. So I can't wait to see where she sends me next. <laughs> <laughs> and what's great about it is it's you know it's uh, you can look at something that might be chaos, but there is sort of an underlying order and a perfection to things as well. As like, how can that happen? You know, just we might off the off chance go somewhere, and then you bump in, and it all lines up, just aligns perfectly. It couldn't yeah. have been written better. And you're like, that has happened for a reason and a purpose. Yeah. Um, you know, trust. And, yeah, and this is it. And I actually feel, you know, something that was really important to myself and Stephen, you know, we'd made a lot of opportunity uh, over the last years, last two to three years, and sat with a lot of different healing groups. And, and you know, when people start to open up that vulnerable side, it's really what brings us all together. And whoever you are and, you know, whatever your path is, because when we all get talking, it's all relatable. We can, And that that's the level we can really start to relate to each other and go, Do you know what, I, I've been there too, you're not on your own. Yeah. And it's something we try to repeat on this podcast because I, I feel that's the, the, the danger spot when people feel they're on their own. Yeah, and definitely. I feel it, and I feel like coming together, you know, we talked about, been through social media and all that but on the other side of it i feel it's really important now more than ever and we're seeing it uh, whether it's men's groups there's women's groups there's there's you know for everybody and i feel that's so important to start to come together as a community 
you know, put our phones to one side, talk, share experiences, laugh, dance together, be stupid, and and in, in, and start to open up again to one another and realize, you know, that person living across the street, actually they're not much different from you. They're going through the yeah. same challenges. They've yeah. been through the same shit. Yeah. And that's what can bring us together, you know, that unity. And, and I think that's the key to sort of changing things on a big scale. Definitely. The, the thing you mentioned about vulnerability, I really, really try and home in on that and make sure people are aware being vulnerable is a sign of strength. It's not a sign of weakness. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, I got brought up in a house of three lads and you don't, my mom didn't even know what emotion was. Never mind, process them and deal with them and speak about them. And now, like, I, it's my job to speak about them, you know. And and I do it on a daily basis, and I love speaking about it as well. But being vulnerable is the first step to change. It's the first step, you know. And a lot of people, more so lads, but women as well, they won't want to open up because of the fear of judgment. And again, what think worrying about what other people think, right? So if they can get rid of that and just open up to that one person or open up that one time to the right person, it relieves a hell of a lot of weight off your shoulders, a hell of a lot of weight. And it's not, um, it's not even uncommon now to say I'm struggling with X, Y, and Z, but that's the first step you need to take to change. Cause otherwise what's the other option? You don't open up, you struggle on by yourself and you maybe, maybe get around what challenge you're going through. But if you open up yeah. and get help, it's a lot likely, a lot more likely you're going to get through it. Yeah, I think no, that's amazing. No. I think I just want to interject that. I think that's amazing advice because the amount of uh, readings that me and Chris do on, on a daily, weekly basis with so many young people taking their lives, you know, mothers, fathers coming for readings, 18 year olds, 17 odds and you know anybody listen to this podcast talk about it reach out you know it's yeah. not a weakness and and that's what it's about reach out show your vulnerability who gives a shit you know reach out and it's too many young people going home to spirit before their time because the whatever reason it is and then massive it's absolutely massive now the mental health crisis and i think that's needs sorting we should maybe start a new saying um man up and open up <laughs> yes uh, and i fit and it, you know it, it doesn't even matter who you open up to either it doesn't have to be family or friends you know some of the best conversations i've ever had of people that are just you know strangers or people i've just met on the day or something and you end up having a quite a deep conversation and you're like wow that was really nourishing but the the other thing as well is that tends to come up that i feel kind of mix what i'm going to say here the way i'm coming out with it but shame as well mm. so once things start to come to the surface we can feel shame but we shouldn't feel shame for the shame if that makes sense you know we've all been there there's a yeah. there's a wonderful song that we listen to a lot and it's called um come wherever you are and it says in the lyrics it doesn't matter if you've sinned a thousand times before you're always welcome yeah class because who well, hasn't who hasn't done something that he hasn't took a wrong step. I've 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 uh, shed a lot of shame in my time, like a lot of shame, and um, I honestly believe shame and guilt are the two heaviest emotions mm -hmm. to carry. But as mentioned before, me looking back at my previous self, and this is something I'd like a lot of people to take away from 
for a lot of people to take away if they are or have any guilt and shame, which is you in the past, whenever you've done that shameful or guiltful ridden thing, was just trying his best. He was just trying his best at, at that moment, yes. in that mind frame, in that circumstance, in that day, in that situation. He was just trying his best. I don't think anyone sits, not many people anyway, sit and think, right, I'm going to conjure up a little plan to go and hurt this person and do X, Y, and Z. It just, it just kind of happens, right? And yeah, we can take responsibility for our choices, but looking back on our previous selves of th- decisions that we could have made better, it can carry a lot of guilt and shame, but you've really just got to understand that you were just trying your best. My thing was um, binge drinking. Like I, that was my my thing, as I call it. Um, done a lot of stupid things, drunk, and things I wasn't, you know, proud of. Brought a lot of guilt and shame. But I knew back then I was just suffering, and my drink was a little escape. I didn't sit and, like I said, I didn't sit and conjure up this plan of I'm going to get drunk. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that just to hurt that person. Didn't even mean to hit that person. And really, when you start understanding that your previous self was just trying the best, you can just give yourself a little bit of a break. And that's where the compassion comes in. You know, I was kind of hating on compassion a little bit before, but again, case-dependent, situation-dependent, that's where, yeah, compassion is needed because, you know, we are human at the end of the day. Really important, yeah, compassion and... You know, having unconditional love for each other, and I think that word "unconditional" is important that it gets slotted yeah. in there. That it doesn't come with well, I'll conditions love you to do this or that. It doesn't, <laughs> that's it. You know, it, it's not it. a contract. <laughs> Everyone is just trying their best, and and that's that's me quoting Peter Crohn, something he taught me that, like everyone is just trying their best. Even like you know, the people we'd look at and that would be we you put them in the in the bad person category. They're just trying their best as well with their circumstances and their upbringing and their traumas and everything else. And that's, I do think, where compassion can help to relieve a little bit of guilt and shame because they're too heavy emotions to carry around. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Kieran, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. I feel like we could we could make this, um, you know, <laughs> I could easily talk to you for another. I don't know where this time's gone. That that first hour, we just rinsed through it, I tell you. Yeah, yeah, I want to ask one more question. I want to yeah. throw one thing in, a bit of a wild card question, this we'll call it. Mm-hmm. That say today, right now, if we were to say to you, right, you're in charge of health and well-being in this country. <sighs> <laughs> what, are, <laughs> what are the things that you would be the top of your list that you'd like to implement uh if i was in charge of health and well-being in this country i would make um i would take out algebra from the school system and i'd implement uh, a class all about mental health it's a weekly class you go to which is learning about mental health and how to overcome challenge I would take out geography and I would input um, organization and structure and kind of life skills, let's call it. I'd implement a class about life skills. I would take out RE, personal preference, but I'll take out RE and I'd input, um, what would I input? I would input nutrition and health like yeah we have PE but I'd have a secondary 
like because PE is physical. It's not even physical education, really. It's more like playing rugby with your pals. So actual um, health education, let's call it, you know, nutrition, um, supplements, water, like just generally stuff that make us physically healthy. And I'd, I'd implement, I'd take things out of the school system, put in stuff like that. Um, I would then try and somehow change the GP's approach to medication. Like, not yeah. make it so easy just to go and get a, um, I don't know, a gastric band or whatever. Like, because I think as, to a certain level, if someone's a bit overweight, they just probably haven't got the knowledge. If someone's really, really, really overweight, that's a mental problem. That's not a physical problem. You know what I mean? So they need like a mental health coach. They don't need a gastric band. <laughs> so it, it's things like that. What I would change. Um, if I was the the one in charge, I would also, I'd like to, I'd like to try and make some, I'd like to set a compulsory standard so we can have almost like a base level of health in the country. You know what I mean? Whatever that looks like, I don't know yet, but I mean, well, what's the, what's the base level now? Two hours of PE in school. That's it. And, and the reason why I'm talking about school is because I think that's where it starts. Um, as I mentioned before, yeah. 35 minutes on average, people are spending with the parents. So the schools are a big, big influence of how them children turn out as adults. Uh, I'd then also actually implement a class around things like social media and technology, a technology class. I know they've got IT, but like, I don't know, God knows what to do there these days. Um, probably not learning about the effects of social media anyway. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, stuff like oh, that. Sounds incredible. You got my vault anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't vote. I don't yeah. vote normally. I find it just encourages them. Um, but yeah, it's been great speaking with you. Thanks so much for sharing yeah, your time. Thanks if, anybody, for having us. if anybody's interested in getting in touch with Kieran and knowing more about his work, we're going to post uh, the links, uh, the relevant links wherever you're listening or watching to this. I do know you're looking to get into the podcast world as well. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure that's going to be fantastic. So I'll just yeah. watch out for that. Uh, I just want to thank everybody for watching and please subscribe and, and uh, keep supporting us. We really appreciate it. And once again, just really appreciate you sharing your time with us, Kieran, and your insights. It's been a fantastic talk and I'd, yeah. I'd love to do it again sometime. Definitely. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Well, thanks so much and thank you everybody for listening. Until we speak again. Thank you for watching the Collective Awakening podcast. For more information on the Purple Mountain Spiritual and Wellbeing Centre, you can visit our website at thepurplemountain.co.uk and don't forget to click 